Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Every time we sit down and eat our food, that food has been influenced by the natural environment, by the rainfall, by the temperature. Climate change is making food production more challenging. And so there is a flow on effect to the people who are consuming that food. Dr. Anika Molesworth is smashing the status quo and inspiring change for a better future. As a young female farmer tackling the world's biggest challenges, Anika is inspiring thousands through engaging and empowering conversations. Her infectious optimism is shifting mindsets and behaviours, leaving audiences motivated and empowered to act. Anika is a thought leader of agroecological systems resilience and has a PhD in international agricultural development. With a passion for rural communities and healthy ecosystems, she is committed to help create sustainable and vibrant rural landscapes now and for the future. She is a founding director of Farmers for Climate Action, a national network of nearly 8,000 Australian farmers undertaking climate change action. Anika has presented the TED Talks, Farmers Are Key to a Better Future, and Repairing the Broken Food System, both wonderful talks to get a really true insight into the work Anika's doing, so I'd really recommend you check those out. She's also the author of a book, Our Sunburnt Country, which won the Royal Societies of Australia and New Zealand Writers Award for Outstanding Writing on Social Change. She has won a, quite a few awards, actually. So after being named the 2015 Young Farmer of the Year, Anika went on to be awarded the 2017 Young Australian of the Year New South Wales finalist and 2017 New South Wales Young Achiever Award for Environment and Sustainability. In 2022, she was named the Young Conservationist of the Year. This is one impressive individual, if you haven't got that already. And uh, she is so smart, caring and impactful. And I've been super excited about getting her on the show. Let's kick in. Anika, it is so lovely to meet you today and to get to sit down with you. This is really special. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. And am I supposed to call you Dr. Anika? I think, you know, is that the official term? (laughs) I have done a PhD in agriculture and environmental management, but you can call me Anika. (laughs) That's nice. Good. Okay. A bit bit more formal, even though we've just met. So that's lovely. Anika, let's kick in because we've got lots to talk about. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It would be courage. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Talk more, talk more, say more. Yes. So uh, I think we are facing some very big, challenging, complex global issues. And we often we recognize these issues or we see them or we hear about them, but then we sort of shy away from them a bit. We sort of take the back foot and think, well, I'm not the right person to get involved. Now's not the right time. I don't have the knowledge or the skills 
someone else is better at dealing with this issue than me. Like we make up these excuses in our minds why we can sit this issue out, why we don't have to get involved. Such a good point. Such <laughs> a good point. But I really believe that we live in such a highly connected web, you know, this beautiful world that we live in. And, you know, every choice we make, every interaction we have with each other, with the environment, with the system, does actually have a flow-on effect. And so these issues that we recognize are out there are related and are connected to us, even though they feel sometimes very far away. And we need to actually recognize that connection to step up and go, well, okay, well, if I am having any influence on this or if I am connected to this issue, how do I help rectify this problem? How do I help make the world a better place? And that's where courage comes into it. And I think, but I think your angle on that though is so true. It's the, around the courage and just listening to you say that, I can think of things that, you know, I'm hesitant about doing stuff on. Um, we'll dig in a little bit deeper from a climate aspect of which that's predominantly the work that you do. But even so far as, you know, seeing someone distressed or distraught and people walk by stuff and they see, you know, people mistreated or things that are the wrongdoings every day, all day, and there's a hesitance to be you know, involved and like, oh, that's not to me. I don't want to get involved or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get hurt. And I think in social media, even speaking out on stuff, you know, I don't want to get trolled. So, you know, coming at it from that courage aspect is really interesting. How do you feel, you know, is there a lens that you put that stuff through yourself? Like to go, okay, this is uncomfortable. You know, I am nervous. Like, how do you tackle stuff like that, that you think, oh, I'm a bit resistant? I think actually coming back to ones like, deeply embedded values and going like what does actually have meaning for me like what do I cherish what do I care about who am I as a person and that's where I sort of draw my courage from because when I see these big challenging issues and you know uh, the issues that I focus on in my life are related to climate change food security sustainable farming systems and rural development you know that's that's my passion area and yes you know as you have mentioned you can get trolled on social media when you when you speak up about these issues you can get your neighbor you know leaning over the fence and going well you know you're wrong or you know the climate has always acted in cycles and things like this and coming back to your values and going well actually I care about these certain things and I can go into detail about what exactly I care about and where that sort of energy and passion comes from. And from that place of my values, I am actually going to stand up, I'm going to speak out, I'm going to weather that storm that does come about because I believe in something truly and deeply and I believe that we can improve or resolve these issues that I believe are important. Mm. So you are a farmer and a scientist, which is like such an amazing combination. <laughs> I think it's quite rare, I'd imagine. How do they coexist, Anika? Yeah, well, 
I don't know if they are that rare because I think all farmers are, you know, scientific at heart. They're always testing and trialing, you know, studying the soil, looking at the biodiversity, looking at the markets, what's going to happen next season. You know, they're very inquisitive people, always questioning, always trying to make improvements. So I think that's why I actually um, love being around farmers and sort of draw relations to scientific-minded people because there is that deep sense of curiosity and problem-solving too. Because as I'm sure you're aware, you know, (laughs) every day on the farm, there's another problem arises, another challenge, whether the tractor's broken down or the cattle have escaped through the fence. And you can't actually sit back and point a finger and wait for someone else to do something about this problem. Like you actually have to get off the chair, you know, put on your boots, walk out the front door with a a spanner or some pliers and some wire, whatever you've got, what your resources you have at hand, and you go and fix that problem. So that's why I love really being involved in the farming community. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love farming. My um, brother-in-law is a farmer in New Zealand and he's so handy. <laughs> like the knowledge he has about the most broad subjects on everything. And he came over and um, spent time in my pottery studio and he was like, Joe, let's do this and let's make this better and let's fix this. I'm like, can you just stay, Maury? Can you stay for ages? Because <laughs> my husband, your brother, is useless. Like he can't do. I love him dearly. <laughs> he has other skills, but he's not handy like that. So, no, I agree with you. Farmers are very, you know, resilient as well as resourceful and so clever in so many ways. And you grew up from a farming family, like this has been your life for a long time. Can you talk a bit about that, how you got here and how, you know, you got to live where you do now and and do the work that you do, Anika? Yes, certainly. So my parents actually purchased our farm when I was 12 years old. And before that, we were living in Melbourne. So I had a traditional metropolitan upbringing, you know, catching the the train or the trams to school, busy city life, all of that, living in suburbia. (laughs) So a very normal um, city lifestyle. And then my parents decided to buy a farm in far western New South Wales near Broken Hill in gorgeous Willyakali country. And those city streetscapes were replaced by endless horizons of, you know, red, sandy, arid lands, sapphire blue skies, kangaroos in the paddocks, emus marching by, canoes on the dam, horses. And I just, you know, fell in love with the place as a 12-year-old coming from Melbourne to this enormous landscape with just endless things to be curious about and be awe-inspired by the colours, the sounds, you know, everything. I was just, you know, head over heels in love with it right from the beginning. The year they purchased the farm, however, was the year 2000. And as some people may recall, that was the start of the decade-long millennium drought. And so we then actually ended up having 10 years of little to no rainfall. And so we had come to this place I had fallen in love with it, my whole family had. And then we just watched the water evaporate from the dams. The vegetation was disappearing. We were getting these heat waves. The dust storms were then coming because we didn't have the vegetation. We were selling the livestock in the trucks, you know, carrying them away to the sale yards because we couldn't graze the land anymore. 
people were leaving town, leaving the community. And, you know, I was witnessing all this as a, a young person going, my goodness, like, what is happening? Like, everything just seems to be deteriorating in this agro-ecosystem, social system around me. What is going on and how do I stop it? And I guess that was sort of my real introduction to the challenges of living so closely with the farming system, the challenges of being a food producer, but also the climate challenge. And sorry to interrupt, but did your parents have any knowledge or background or had they, either of them, lived on the land before? And in term, like, I mean, it's hard enough to come and have such a change like that from city to farming life versus then deal with a 10-year drought of which no one would be prepared for. No, so we were all very much city dwellers, but my parents had background and professional careers in environmental sectors. So we all had an interest. And I guess, you know, even in my upbringing, when I was in Melbourne, we would often go for bushwalks on weekends or camping trips, things like that. So we were had um, a real deep interest in the environment and how do we look after it and how do we, you know, take care of these things. But yeah, the farm was a whole new experience. Yeah. And how did you get through that? So the drought, those 10 years, they really made me stop and question the way that we people are interacting with the world. I guess it was during that time that I probably first heard the phrase climate change. I remember my dad putting in a DVD one evening with Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. And I was just really just like, oh my gosh, dad, it's like Friday evening. What are we watching this weather film for? <laughs> like, just like having a big complaint that <laughs> we were watching something more interesting. Anyway, I sat there and I watched the film and I was like, oh my gosh, this is making sense to me. Like the penny's dropping. You know, we mistreat the natural environment that has a flow-on effect, which is affecting the climate, that's causing more droughts, more floods, more bushfires, that's going to make it more challenging to produce food, to grow, you know, good food and all of this. This is a really big issue. And so I then went on to study a Bachelor in Science, then a Master's in Sustainable Agriculture, and then because I'm a sucker for punishment, did a PhD in Agriculture and Environmental Management, and all the time sort of focusing on how climate change is actually impacting farmers now, how it is going to impact the next generation of farmers like myself, and what do we actually need to do to have healthy, productive, vibrant food systems for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key source. So, you know, any city dwellers listening to this now, they're like, yeah, yeah, but what does it mean for us? And I think that's the point about a lot of the talks that you do and, um, you know, your TED Talks are fa fabulous as well. And a lot of the work that you do, you're also one of the founders of the Farmers of Climate Action. So uh, I'd love you to tell, talk a bit more about that as well. But the key thing is actually you produce the food that many of us eat. And so that's the connection that people miss, you know, that actually the farming and ag, in, especially in this country, in Australia, has such an impact on all of us. And yet it's so close and connected but so removed in the same way, you know, at the same time, which is, is interesting. So I'd love you to sort of talk a bit more about that and for the city dwellers listening, what messages you would like for uh, us all to hear from you. Yeah, and that's so true, Michelle. You know, a farmer is a food producer. 
or a fibre producer. And climate change is impacting what we can grow, how we can grow it, where we can grow it, the cost of growing it, that food. And that means climate change is impacting every meal on every plate. So every time we sit down and eat our food, that food has been influenced by the natural environment, by the rainfall, by the temperature, by the food producing system. And we know that climate change is making food production more challenging. And so there is a flow on effect to the people who are consuming that food. And we're all food consumers here. We are, we're all going and um, you know buying our food and sitting down, cooking it, eating it, enjoying it with our families. But what we're not sort of really recognizing or talking enough about, especially here in Australia, is that when we have climate disasters, a bushfire, a flood, a drought, the food availability goes down because a lot of those food production areas are wiped out. Food accessibility is also challenged. And we've seen that when we've had floods in certain regions, in dairy growing regions, for example, and milk wasn't able to get off the farm or the farmers weren't able to milk their cows. Uh, we've seen it in cyclones in tropical North Queensland and the prices of bananas have gone through the sky because there have been so few bananas. So it affects the prices that people uh, see on the supermarket shelves. Uh, it affects the availability of that food. It also affects the nutritional value of food because we're also experiencing more pests and diseases with climate change as the temperatures change. And so the nutritional value of the food that we are consuming is also being reduced by climate change. So it's having a whole suite of effects. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the um, and it's really important for people to understand that. What what is it that you farm on your land? Yeah, so we have been running an African breed of sheep and goats here. So we are meat producers, but because the environment here is becoming hotter and drier, we're actually looking at well, what's the future of food production in this part of Australia? And a lot of farmers are sort of questioning, like the environment is changing so quickly before our eyes. What we were doing 10, 20, 50 years ago might not be the correct way to be managing this landscape and producing food anymore or going forward when we're looking at climate projections. And so a lot of farmers are questioning, you know, what should we be producing? How do we produce it? How do we look after these beautiful landscapes that are in our care and produce nutritious, healthy food for people in the community. Mm, amazing. I've met people recently that are farmers and don't necessarily believe in climate change, <laughs> which I find a little bit hard to comprehend, but that's okay. Everyone has their own opinion. I'm curious on your thoughts on that. And then obviously like how you've got an organisation called Farmers for Climate Action. So clearly there's a lot of you that do believe in it, but I was quite surprised that this person still doesn't yeah, I think that that impacts them at all. So, um, yeah, how do, how do you tackle people that may say that to you or whether they're naysayers or, I guess, difference of opinion? Yeah, sure. And there's been lots of studies in Australia that sort of show the range of views or people's interactions with climate change going from people who deny science outright and those people generally don't just deny climate science. They deny a whole range of sciences and evidence-based things out there. 
then you've got people who are sort of skeptical about the science going, oh, look, I don't know, I don't understand this. But they're sort of, they're open-minded, they're inquisitive people, which is great. You know, I'm a scientist, I'm a skeptical person. I love questioning, going, you know, is this right? Is this correct? How do we know? So, you know, I love a, a good questioning mind. Then you have people who are aware and recognize what the science is saying, but they're sort of engaged. They're not actively doing something about that scientific information. And then we have people who are, are deeply concerned about climate change, who are very active in trying to use that science to solve the problems. So we have sort of a whole suite of people who have different interactions with the topic of climate change. As someone myself who's scientifically trained in this field and is very deeply concerned about climate change and works with a lot of farmers, not only in Australia, but around the world who are very much impacted by the impacts of climate change. When I hear, you know, people who outright deny science, it does tense my shoulders a bit and go, oh gosh, like, <laughs> you know, we've still got a, a long way to go. But a lot of these people, uh, no matter how much information you present to them, or scientific evidence, whether that's on climate change or any other topic, they have their set way and they're, they're not going to change their mind. And so I personally, I don't actually spend too much time interacting with people who deny science and trying to change their minds. I would much prefer to work with people who are curious, who are trying to understand the science, who are trying to learn how do we actually solve climate change. And that's where the majority of the population is. Going back to Farmers for Climate Action, so six years ago, a group of 30 farmers got together in the Blue Mountains and we came from all geographies, all different sectors, you know, myself, an arid zone sheep and goat farmer. We had dairy farmers from, you know, the Gippslands, banana growers from the far north tropics. And we sat down, we had this conversation, you know, climate change is really impacting us now. It's impacting our communities. It's impacting our food producing ability. We're also really disappointed with the mainstream narrative in the media. We're disappointed with how many political representatives are dismissing or downplaying science and not taking this issue seriously. So how about we start a group called Farmers for Climate Action and we'll see if there are other people out there like us who care about this issue. Fast forward those six years, we now have over 8,000 farming members and over 43,000 non-farming members part of this community. So it has grown so quickly and we just have this incredible movement of people who care and they want to learn how do we do things better and to be involved in that problem solving. So is that the best way for someone listening that thinks, you know, I would like to learn more about this and, and to your whole point of that being, you know, having courage to have an impact and, and do my bit and contribute would it be to actually learn, you know, go onto the website, I'll put that in the show notes and, you know, potentially be a part of that organisation or what else would you suggest people do? Yes, I think, you know, joining Farmers for Climate Action is the first step and it's a, it's a great way to be part of a community who, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we do things better? How do we do things the best? And we're all learning, we're all in the same boat together. You don't have to be a farmer. But if you are, you know, brilliant. 
So we're very inclusive. Um, there's no membership fee. It's just, you know, if you are interested in these topics, if you want to help try and solve these problems with us, you are welcomed with open arms. We have monthly webinars where we invite scientists or farmers or politicians or industry bodies to talk to us about these issues. We often have, you know, 400, 500 people on these webinars listening. There is such an interest. We have masterclasses where we actually have academics come to rural areas and talk about, you know, what are the projections for this region? You know, how do we adapt? How do we reduce emissions? We do a lot, you know, talking with the media, trying to correct those narratives to make sure that the farmer's story is being heard. There are so many ways to be involved. And so, yeah, I would love your listeners to come and join Farmers for Climate Action. That's amazing. And I think, interestingly, some people are like, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about climate change. I'm like, oh, my God, like you need to, you know, maybe reframe it for you. If it's around, it's like if you look at technology, you know, things are changing and evolving. And so we have to learn new skills to, you know, look AI and the way that's kind of taking over, especially at the moment with in the last year. I mean, it was literally last December when uh, ChatGPT came on the market. Most of us didn't learn about it until early in the year, but that's a year now that that's been out there. And the change that that's created in a very short time is quite phenomenal. It's the same with this. Like, so farmers, you know, the way you farmed for hundreds and hundreds of years and your point about the different animals and things that you're looking with the change in seasons and stuff, you know, we have to all continually change. That is life. That's our human existence in my view. So it's fascinating, isn't it, people's kind of resistance to that? Yeah, exactly. And I think this sort of goes back to that core theme that we started with about courage, you know, actually being humble enough, like having the humility to say, look, I don't have all the answers. And I have got it wrong. And, you know, I don't know what's the best way forward, but I'm willing to learn. Like I have my ears open and my eyes open and I'm going to, you know, front up to these challenges, whether that is climate change or whether that's another big challenge that you see that threatens something that you care about and going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be actively involved. I'm going to recognize my connection with this issue. And I'm going to try and help play a part in resolving it, even if it is a very small part. And sometimes it feels like, oh, gosh, these are such big, complex, overwhelming issues. You know, what could I possibly do to, you know, improve this situation? But if we all play our small part, that has a huge difference. You know, they are the ripples that turn into tidal waves of improvement and action and motivation and this courage, that's contagious. You know, your friends, your families will see you stepping up, speaking out, getting involved and go, well, if they are doing that, maybe I can too. I love that. It's so beautiful. It's such a wonderful way to bring this full circle, Anika. It's just divine to listen to you and you know, see how passionate you are about your cause and what you do. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Michelle. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. 
I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. Thank you.